I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. Today I'm finding out about fishwives, these remarkable women who, one way or another, were involved with the British fishing trade and made a name for themselves for being particularly loud and outspoken. And they became a byword for hardiness and industry. It's a fascinating story, and to tell me more, I spoke with the historian and journalist Rose George, who is currently working on a big research project looking at fishing communities around the world, and in her work has become fascinated by these fishwives, and in particular on their impact on British politics. As ever, I hope you enjoy listening to her as much as I enjoy talking with her. Here is the excellent Rose Rose, thank you very much indeed for joining me today. It's a pleasure, Sam. I was uh, delighted to have been put in touch with you. And uh, when uh, we first chatted, um, we were talking about what we were going to discuss for the podcast. And you said, please, let's do fishwives. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's a, it's a topic which I've come across once or twice, um, but uh, I've not met anyone yet who'd be able to talk about it. So I'm delighted we are going to be able to do this today. What is a fishwife? Let's start at the beginning. Okay, so I've handily prepared some dictionary definitions for you, <laughs> which I think are pretty instructive. Right, so we'll start uh, with the Merriam-Webster, which is uh, standard American usage. So the, the noun fishwife, definition one, is a woman who sells fish. Mm. Definition two is a vulgar, abusive woman. Uh, first known use of fishwife, 15th century, in the meaning defined at sense one, so a woman who sells fish. Okay, I've started with the good stuff. Um, in the Cambridge English Dictionary, the only definition of fishwife is a loud, unpleasant woman. Um, and I think there are, uh, the Oxford American English Dictionary is a woman with a loud voice and bad manners. So there you go. But... Well, yeah, I mean, let's... Uh, uh, how much am I allowed to bet on the fact those definitions were written by men? Well... So if we go actually back to etymology, so fish wife, the word wife in this instance is probably from the Old English with, which just means a woman. So when I, in my fishwives folder, which is enormous because I find them so fascinating, um, I have fish sellers, fish wives, fish processors, fish, all women. Uh, I have herring girls who travelled up and down the coast gutting herring. 
Um, and I think they all count as fishwives, but I think it's, it's pretty instructive that the modern definition of a fishwife has become almost entirely negative. Mm. And in fact, there was a case in um, a few years ago where the mayor of Liverpool appeared to refer to a Liberal Democrat member as a fishwife. And <laughs> And he was he was called out on it and um, reported for using inappropriate sexist language, and he said, "Oh, I just thought it meant someone who shouts a lot." And and Adele, you find Adele being referred to as someone who uh, cackles like a fishwife, which is uh. it's it's just a peculiar thing because if you go if 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 we talk about fishwives in their heyday, which was kind of up to the early twentieth century, they were astonishing women. So strong yeah. and and independent, and they controlled the purse strings, and they they ran their own businesses, and and yet somehow, amazingly, we have fishwife now as this slur. Yeah, well, I think we should um, we should get rid of the slur. We should go back to the the true history of what's going on here. So. Um, We've got two things. We've got we ha we have actual fishwives who who lived and sort of operated in the fishing industry in various ways, and then mm. we have the slur, um, uh, which is clearly linked to noise, uh, being obstructive, being difficult, and or, how how, or being how has that happened? Or being independent, yeah. How has has that come about? Do you think? I think it's because um, fishwives were pretty unique, and in fact. Um, they were they were kind of romanticized in in some ways in the 17th 18th centuries because they were these strong powerful women and they had an independence that other women just really didn't have um so if you go to some of the scottish fishing villages or up up, up on the north coast you'll find these women um they would collect the bait for their husbands they would as soon as the husbands landed the catch they would be responsible for putting it in a creel walking astonishing distances with like 200 pounds of fish on their backs um, up to like they're in their 80s um, one woman apparently gave birth on Wednesday and was carrying her creel on Saturday um, just really strong amazing women and um, I think one of the kings one of the Georges um, thought they were the most the handsomest women he'd ever seen so they became kind of romanticized even though they had a very very difficult job. I mean, it was just backbreaking, relentless, but they had an independence that women rarely had at that point. And there's, um, there's a nice quote, uh, I can't remember where it came from, but it was a farmer's wife who said to a fishwife that she had it better than the fishwife. And the fishwife said, well, would your husband let you take the cattle to auction? Because the, um, the fishwife controlled all the family finances and ran the business. So they were businesswomen. And I think if you were being cynical about this, you might think that the reason that they it became a slur was that they were seen as a threat. And perhaps their power and their independence um, was seen as something that needed to be stamped down. And, and there's no doubt that probably they were allowed. I mean, they had to work in markets, some of them. So in Billingsgate, I mean, Billingsgate became uh, a word for fishwife, actually, a kind of noisy, loud woman. Um, and but but they were also equated with because they sold fish, apparently, maybe they sold sex. So there's all these kinds of things swirling around fishwives. 
Mm. And, 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 and because they had a particular costume as well, they often had in, like nice striped petticoats and, and they, looked, they looked interesting. Um, they became this really complex figure of like a kind of stroke businesswoman, stroke possibly prostitute, stroke really strong, powerful Amazon walking, you know, 27 miles from Dunbar to Edinburgh with a creel on her back and really... Um, there's, I mean, there are some there are some uh, historians of the day, um, particularly in like uh, I think 1795. There was a something called the Statistical Account of Scotland, which was uh, a record of Scotland parish by parish, um, and often it was the reverend local reverend who did the was the, acted as the historian. And the one for Inveresque was um, a fellow called Reverend Alexander Carlyle. And I think he was basically in love with the fish women because he is so, he, he, he loves them. He, he says they're so strong and amazing and they look wonderful. And, and that's quite, it's, it's really nice to read that there is, there's absolutely no undertone in his account of what these women do. He's just absolutely admires them. Hmm. I like two things about this. One is um, that pride in a, in a difficult or dangerous job, you know, comparing the, the farmer's wife to the, 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 the fish wife, because um, that's something I think we'll, we'll talk about later in the dangers of fishing in general. Mm. Uh, and, and, and the other question before we come to that, I suppose, is um, I know you've been working on fishing communities all over the world and it's a project you're working on at the moment. Do you think this strong female persona in a fishing community back in the 18th and 19th century is unique or whether that was something that happened elsewhere in the world? No, I don't think it's unique. I think it's just because of particularly the pandemic, I've been kind of stuck in a lot of archive research. So I've obviously focused more on the UK and what I can access in the UK. Um, but I definitely don't think it's unique. And I think even in the modern day fishing industry, the role of women is they have a huge role to play. But because they now tend to do fish processing rather than the kind of colourful fishwives, you know, waiting on the beach for their men to come home kind of thing. Um, they're kind of silent. And, um, and there are all sorts of figures and statistics for how many women work in fishing, but they're still fundamental. They just don't have um, the major public profile that they did. And obviously, I hope we're going to talk about Big Lil, who was probably the last most famous fish, modern fishwife. But... Um, and also, I mean, in the UK, the fishwives, as soon as health and safety came in and you had to have washing facilities to sell fish, obviously they were pretty much pushed out of business and um, suddenly fish got sold in white vans uh, by men, which was not necessarily a bad thing because most fishwives apparently worked so that their sons didn't have to go to sea because they, they were sick of losing their husbands and sons at sea. So that yeah, was the... Let's, let's... That's a, a perfect segue. Let's talk about that because um, this character, Big Lil, is fascinating, and I, I'm really interested in the the awareness of the women about the dangers of fishing, and that seems to be where she uh, really started to make a difference. Yeah, I'll just I'll step back a little bit because um, much as I love Big Lil, I think there's there's a lot of art that actually focuses on that the, the danger and the women waiting on beaches and, and waiting for their husbands to come home or not come home. Um, and I was in Newlyn last week, which is a very, still pretty vibrant fishing village. And um, 
it was obviously in the New Lynn Art School, and a lot of the work, the artwork done there um, is is women. It's women waiting on the beaches or women leaving the post office where you can see that a sign has just been put up because a, a boat has been lost at sea. So you often see this kind of women waiting is, is a really popular theme with male artists. Um, and that's how, that's how they were mostly um, often perceived. So, um, but Big Lil was, Big Lil was very different. And for a start, you probably wouldn't call her a fishwife, although she was called a fishwife. She was a cod skinner. So she was a fish processor. She worked in a factory. She didn't like stand on the docks, you know, gazing wistfully out to sea. Um, she was uh, from Hull, born and bred in Hull, um, born in 1929. Um, she was from a fishing family. Her dad was a trawlerman. Her sons were at sea. Her husband was a fisherman as well. Um, and what, uh, what sparked Big Lil, and her real name was Lillian Bilocker, but anyway, she's, she was called Big Lil because she was a large and um, imposing woman, magnificent woman. And um, so in 1968, Hull had this huge uh, distant water cod fishery. And um, I mean, it supplied, I think, a quarter of the UK's fish. And they, but they would be going further and further to get the fish. So they would be fishing off Iceland and Newfoundland. And it was very dangerous. And they would also fish throughout the winter. Um, also extremely dangerous. Um, and in fact, the, the Hull still celebrates the lost Trawlermans Day in January because that was the worst time of the year where you would lose most boats. Um, and in 1968, there was something called the Triple Trawler Tragedy or the Triple Trawler Incident when three trawlers um, were lost in very short succession within about six weeks. Um, the St. Romanus, the Kingston Perido and the Ross Cleveland. And that was a total of 58 men who were lost. Um, one survivor, a man called Harry Edom, who uh, managed to make his way to Iceland um, in a raft with two other people, to a young boy and, and another um, survivor, but they both died in the awful weather. Um, and when the second um, trawler uh, went down, this is the apocryphal tale of what Big Lil did. Apparently she heard it on the radio or she was in the factory and she slammed her knife down on the table and said, right, enough is enough. And to understand her anger and the anger of the other women that she galvanised, um, you have to appreciate what, what these trawler men were putting up with, not just the elemental danger of fishing, but um, the fact that even in 1968, they were not required to have a radio operator. They were not required to have alarms in their cabins. Um, and there had been in the late 1950s some, um, some safety uh, proposal which had been discarded as being optional. So that was the kind of thinking about it. And as one author wrote, he said the fishing industry kind of delighted in its abysmal safety record at the time. Mm. It was kind of macho, and I still think there's an element of that today, actually, but we can talk but about that. Also, yeah, it's 1968. It's not 1868. No, or it's 1968, and, and it's still optional to have a radio operator. So if a ship is in trouble and the captain, the master is involved, the skipper is involved in, in trying to keep the ship upright, then... Clearly, it would be helpful to have someone who can send the mayday signal. It's just 
basic common sense. But the trawler owners obviously thought of it, you know, it's an extra, it's an extra wage, it's an extra cost, and they were really resistant. So Big Lil, Lillian Baloka, fishwife, cod skinner, said, right, that's it. Um, um, with three other women who became known as the headscarf revolutionaries because they, it was 1968 and they wore headscarves, um, they started a campaign which was extraordinary um, and they gathered 10,000 signatures. Big Lil would go down to St Andrew's Dock every day and um, very in a very fishwife way shout loudly at the trawlers that were setting out to sea saying don't go don't go without a radio operator and there was one famous incident where the the trawler did set off but it got to the gaps um to the harbour exit and it dramatically turned around and came back and they, the crew refused to set sail and that was uh, an ex- a, mut- a mutiny <laughs> yes. a mutiny on a trawler a mutiny on a trawler and that was an extraordinary thing because these trawler men obviously a lot of them were probably wage 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 crew they didn't have any power and the obviously the commercial pressures were immense um i mean this was the the time of the three-day millionaires in hull when you could make an absolute fortune um but even so the commercial pressures were were huge and these to turn around and come back was an extraordinary thing um so a big lil and her uh, fellow headscarf revolutionaries got to westminster they got a meeting with the Minister of Fisheries. Uh, they apparently met Harold Wilson. Big Lil threatened to picket Harold Wilson's house, which was quite typically Big Lil of her. Mm. Um, and they got they got their um, legislation far quicker than anyone else, even though in the face of absolute fury from the trawler owners, and one of the women was punched in the face, uh, Big Lil lost her job uh, and she was blacklisted. So uh, she never got another job in the fish industry. She had to do menial work. Um, and it was only last year, or was it this year, that the, this year that um, Big Lil finally got a blue plaque in Hull celebrating the fact that these women had single-handedly um, changed the trawler industry for the better because they were sick of seeing their husbands die and their sons and their fathers and and it was as as far as they could see it was eminently fixable by pretty simple safety measures so it's it's kind of a testament i think it's kind of a stain on the industry actually at that point the industry of 1968 that it took some fishwives to change what was very easily changeable Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's interesting, isn't it? I, I think this theme of the maritime community not sort of standing up for itself comes back time and again. It's certainly not the first time that I've come across it, with a, particularly with regards to safety. Uh, and it's t- it takes someone that's slightly removed from it, in this case a fishwife, to say, hang on, what you're doing is actually insane. What, you know, there are, there are steps we can take for safety. Is that something you've come across as well? Yeah, and I have to be careful here because I do... I, uh, I mean, I, I've been fishing, I admire fishermen, but I do think there's still an undercurrent of kind of... Mm, I'm going to say macho. <laughs> I'm going to say bravado, let's say, a kind of bravado. Um, I mean, I've seen it, you know, in the, in, in the use of life jackets. I've seen, you know, fishermen have said to me, yeah, I don't need that unless the weather's bad. And they won't wear it. Um, and I think there is that kind of, while they know how dangerous their work is, I think there is this kind of, almost not romantic but a kind of purity to how they confront this and maybe I don't know maybe it's just man and the sea but obviously if you can make fishing safer then you should make fishing safer it's it's quite um it's quite obvious and the fact that fishing vessels are still lost frequently um is 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 testament to the fact that there is more that can always be done even though, even since 1968, the industry has come on in terms of safety, absolutely hugely. Yeah, fascinating stuff. So you were in New Lynn the other week. Where does your uh, research take you in the coming months? Where, where are you planning to go? I am hoping to go um, to Alaska. I'm quite interested. Um, I'm interested in the, the salmon fishing scene. And I, I, I use that word deliberately because it does seem to be quite a scene it's kind like young people flock to Alaska to work on salmon boats although they actually end up usually working in canneries and it's just there's this whole myth about how you can earn a fortune in Alaska and it's kind of like a modern day gold rush um mentality so I'm I'm really interested to see that um I uh I'm also very interested in the fish meal industry because actually, even though I'm writing a book about fish and fishing, I, I don't eat, I've never eaten fish. I've never liked it. So it's all quite a mystery to me. So you can find me on fishing boats asking fishermen, what does cod taste like? What does bass taste like? <laughs> and they, they say, it tastes like fish. <laughs> yeah, but what's oh. the difference? Why? Um, so my only encounter with fish is uh, my cat's breakfast. So I feed her cat food that's made with, obviously, byproducts from the from the fish industry um so i'm really interested in the fish meal and and the cat or the pet food industry and where fish ends up i mean my other um encounter with uh fish is is using fish blood and bone which is a standard 
a fertilizer on my allotment and I remember I used it the other day thinking oh oh yeah <laughs> I just kind of accepted it as just a, a fertilizer that sold it and then I finally thought oh yeah that's fish blood and bone how does that happen yeah. um, where does that come from where does that come from which fish whose blood what bone um, so I'm hoping to go to, uh, to look at the Menhaden fishery, which is, um, the Menhaden is a fish that I had never heard of till about, uh, 18 months ago when I came across it, but it's, it's this little oily fish, oily bony fish, um, which is absolutely fundamental to the fish meal industry. And there is a massive industry, um, uh, particularly off Chesapeake Bay in, in the U S where, um, and there's a, there was a huge company there that was, uh, you know, sending out spotter planes and using all the latest technology and um, just to harvest this stuff, which is which isn't eaten. It's just um, used. So mm. I think I think the use of fish um, for something other than food is also really fascinating. Um, yeah. I love that aspect of using using every bit of the fish, the blood and bone, because that's very ancient indeed. And you know, we might sort of you know skin crawling that's completely hideous but but you know for 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 centuries all of all of the, the sort of the gross stuff that's left over from animals or fish you know that was in many respects that really was the gold because they could use it in so many different ways yeah and you can and i think i found in archives you know people having herring guts or whatever it was byproducts of whatever was not useful uh, being sold to farmers and yeah it's really and even yeah even now you can I mean, the fact that I'm feeding my cat fish, I mean, that's weird. My cat would never encounter fish normally, would she? So yeah. anyway, it is. Yeah. And I'm also hoping to go to Japan, uh, although um, not, it's only just opened up uh, really. Um, just because Japan is the fishiest country in the world um, and the Japanese eat more sea fish than, than any other country. I think China eats more aquaculture fish. Um, so I'm hoping to go there. Um, I'm also planning to go up to Scotland and um, have a, a, a ride, not a ride, a trip around in um, a, the Greenpeace ship, the Sea Beaver, which has been loaned to a Scottish NGO, and they're looking at marine protected areas and um, seeing whether they are actually protected and things like that. So, but of Wonderful. course, of course, I want to find fishwives wherever I go. So I'm also going yeah. to. Iceland, because they were, to go back to fishwives, the Icelandic fishwives uh, went on strike and it actually uh, triggered a national strike. So uh, I definitely want to find out about them. Yeah, I bet there were some pretty powerful Japanese fishwives as well. I bet there's some stories there you can find. I hope so. <laughs> well, listen, best of luck and thank you very much indeed for talking to me today. You're welcome. Many, many thanks for listening. Now, please make sure this is not the last thing you do to interact with our fabulous podcast. Please follow us on social media. Please make sure you check out the Mariner's Mirror podcast's YouTube page, where you will find some truly amazing videos bringing the maritime world to life in ways you will have never seen before. There are fantastic 3D animations, hand-drawn maps of battles brought to life, figureheads animated, the world's best ship models filmed with the latest camera technology in incredible high definition. 
Please remember that the pod comes from both the Society for Nautical Research and Lloyd's Register Foundation. You can find them both online. The Society for Nautical Research at snr.org.uk, where you can join the Society. I would urge you all to do so for the amazing benefits that membership brings. And you can also find the History and Education Centre of the Lloyds Register Foundation at hec.lrfoundation.org.uk. You can find the Society for Nautical Research on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And please tell your friends and please leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. If you do so, I promise I will read it out. <laughs>